reason that the tables are set up this way for tonight, and they will be at a few different times, is the hope for what we do here on Sunday nights. Uh, when you walk into the room mostly on Sunday nights, and you come in and the, the, the rows are all set up, it does something in your brain where you think, okay, cool, I'm here to come and watch something. Uh, it's like movie theaters all that way, right? Uh, if you go to arenas and you're going to see a concert, chairs are all lined up facing forward, seeing something. And there's nothing wrong with that. We want to create space for people to receive. And that's an important part of what we do on Sundays is to be able to rest and worship and receive and rejoice and be uh, grateful for what God's up to and being ministered to by others. Another thing that we want to do on Sundays, though, because we believe that we aren't just casual observers of what God's up to in the world, but we believe that we are participants in the story of God. And so this is people. This is us, in case you were wondering. Uh, we believe that uh, this is not just an idea that the Bible tells, and so it gives us some good ideas that we might want to take and put into our life if we're in that kind of person who's religious, and maybe not, but that kind of, if you want to, go ahead we believe that the Bible tells the unfolding story of God, that God is up to something in this world. And that the story of God from creation, which is the first down arrow, where God creates everything good, right, and beautiful, including humans at the center of his creation, meant to reflect his glory out to the world, to have little image bearers who would do that and develop all the hidden potentials of God's creation. But human beings re see, rebel against God. Genesis 3 through 11 tells us that story. And so when we look at the world, we're like, why is the world so messed up? Why is marriage so difficult? Why is parenting so hard? Why does my job seem like I can never get anything done even though I'm giving it everything I have? Why does inside of me feel disjointed and like it's not quite operating the way it should? The Bible would tell us that's because sin came into the world when human beings rebelled against God. But God doesn't leave his world without hope. The third arrow in there, that forward arrow, is a reminder that God made a promise. He made it through to a man named Abram, that from him all the nations of the world would be blessed. We see that God didn't leave the world in hopelessness or under a curse with no way of coming out from it, but he made a promise that through this line of Abraham, there would be one who came that through whom all the nations would be blessed, that God was on a redemptive mission, that he was doing something in the world to reweave peace that creation and humans desperately longed for. In the story of our Old Testament, we're not going to go chapter by chapter because that's Genesis 12 all the way through Malachi 4, which is the fat part of your Bible, tells the story of how God keeps his promise to be faithful even as Israel, his people, repeatedly fail at their calling to represent how good he was to all the other nations. And then we get to the point in the story that many of us are familiar with. Uh, that cross represents the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That God's own son, Jesus, came onto the scene fully God and fully man, and he walked around in creation showing what it would look like and announcing good news, the kingdom of God is here. Good news, there's no more sickness in my kingdom, and he would heal people. Good news, there's no more death, and the dead girl rose to life. Good news, there's no more hunger, and he feeds 5,000 people. Good news, there's no blindness, uh, both physical, and so he touches the dude's eyes. There's that gnarly story. Remember where he spits in the ground and then like, takes that mud and wipes it on the dude's eyes? which is gnarly, and then there's also not spiritual blindness. And people would look in and with fresh wonder realize what God was up to in the world and say, I want to be a part of that kingdom right now. 
And there's actually one day when Jesus' disciples, his followers came to him and said, hey, Jesus, John taught his disciples how to pray. Uh, other people teach their disciples how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? And so the prayer that we're gonna talk about tonight is Jesus' answer to that question. When his disciples said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And he said, when you pray, I want you to pray like this. And then Jesus lives a perfect life, but he's murdered on a cross and he doesn't stay dead, right? Three days later, he resurrects and brings God's new creation into right now. And his disciples are like, finally, does this the point when, after all this time, you're going to bring your kingdom finally, you're going to make everything right, all that sadness, all that sickness, all that disease, all that death, all that oppression, it'll be forever gone. You're resurrected. You're a king. Let's do that. Let's kick Rome out. They were the oppressive world power at the time. And Jesus goes, no, not quite yet. Uh, there's another act in the story. And so what I want you to do is stay and pray until my spirit comes on you. And when he fills you, then I want you to go out and announce and embody good news wherever you're sent. To set up these little kingdom outposts. People who believe this story was true, that Jesus was a resurrected king, that God really was faithful and on a mission, and these people would be transformed as they stepped into that story. They believed or had faith is the religious word that's often used. To say, this is true, and I want to arrange all of my life. I can't be good enough to be right with God. I need Jesus. I can't try hard enough to live right. I need the Spirit. And as little pockets of these people met in whatever the equivalent of a strip mall was back in the first century, as they met in homes and on rooftops, as they met around watering holes and in tents, little churches were formed. And through them, Jesus transformed many, 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 many people to the day that we literally sit here today because other people were faithful to their role in the story. And we believe that one day Jesus will finally come back, that he will return. That's what Advent looks forward to, the day when he returns to finally and fully make everything right. When that longing to see injustice and oppression and disease and sadness and sickness and loneliness and the disruption in our own souls finally and fully under the love of Jesus and experiencing his peace and that's the book of Revelation at the end of it where it says, behold, I'm making everything new. And so everyone who bows in knee to King Jesus is able to enjoy his restored creation. And everyone who doesn't spends eternity separated from him. And the story ends with an invitation to believe again afresh. These words are true because Jesus says, I'm, I'm coming back soon. If we learn anything in the story that soon to Jesus is kind of relative. But I guess when you're an eternal being, a few thousand years isn't quite as long as it is for us in human history. But one of the ways that God gives us right now to lean into what he will do in the future and even see ourselves transformed by what he's done in the past is to pray. We've seen it in Ephesians. That's the book of the Bible that we have spent uh, the last few weeks in. We see Paul saying, for this reason, I pray for you. For this reason, I pray for you. I pray that you would experience and understand what is absolutely unknowable, the height, the breadth, the depth of the love of God. Over and over again, he said, I pray this for you. Because Paul believed, as we do today, that as we pray, Jesus somehow responds. That he's in our prayers shaping us, 
uh, that prayer is both speaking and listening. Uh, tonight we'll do you doing a little bit of the speaking around the tables, but I encourage you as others are praying out loud to do some of that listening. Or even if your table's silent, don't feel an urgency or an anxiety to fill the space if that's not being prompted. But we believe that the spirit of the living God, just as he was present on that first day when the spirit filled up that upper room with 120 people who were praying and then that church was born that day, that that same spirit is here with us tonight and that he wants to speak to us, he wants to shape us, he wants to break us free of things. He wants to renew our hearts. He wants to expose our sin. He wants to put on the salve of the gospel even as we sit under his words tonight. And so we're not just going to talk about praying, but we're going to spend time praying. Uh, I'm going to give us five different movements around that Lord's Prayer. Uh, many of you know it. The prayer is our Father. I'll put it up on the screen for you because some of you might not know it and we don't want to assume. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In five different movements, I'm going to have a prompt on the screen and then invite you to turn to your tables and pray over that particular part of the story or the prayer. And so if you're not comfortable with that, you can sit silently. Nobody's sitting there judging you. Uh, it's a chance for us, grown-ups and kids alike, to enter into the story and participate with what Jesus is doing. This isn't like a grown-up exercise that like kids should just be like, this isn't for me. Uh, Jesus absolutely speaks to kids as much as he speaks to adults. Uh, Jesus absolutely speaks to kids. He loves you. You're part of his family. Uh, church isn't just a grown-up thing, but it's something that all disciples of Jesus are a part of. And so uh, you're invited, parents. You can decide if you want your kids to sit by you or do it by themselves. That's up to you guys. Um, but I'm going to just take a different moments, give us a prompt, and invite you just to move through that as you pray with your tables. And at the end of that, we'll take communion together, sing one more song. Um, but if the Spirit prompts something, I encourage you, journal it, write it down. Uh, pray into it. If you feel like he's nudging you towards asking for something, if he raises something to mind, uh, give a voice to that around your table. We want to be a people not just who know how to pray or who are very well versed in what prayer is, but as a church, we want to be a praying people who actually participate in that part of the story, uh, speaking to God himself, even in this little corner room of an event space. We believe he speaks, and so our posture is to receive and communicate back to him. Um, the first part of the prayer that I'll invite you to go ahead is to turn toward your tables and spend a few moments praying over the Our Father. Uh, think of some of the characteristics of God that come to mind that you want to thank him for. Uh, it could be his greatness, his goodness. Uh, you don't have to have long, drawn-out paragraph, long prayers. It could be sentences. Or you can pray longer. It's your call entirely. But I invite you to go ahead and turn towards those tables and spend a few minutes praying through the Our Father, uh, remembering the character of God, who he is, as we start off our prayer time, thanking him for that, uh, whatever's sticking out to you. Jesus' prayer goes on, and he prays, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I want to invite you at your tables to move on in prayer, think through. Uh, when God's kingdom come, it, it's a place where things are perfectly ordered. 
the way that it was intended to be, where humans flourish, creation flourish, relationships flourish. Uh, the Bible uses the word shalom, which means peace, uh, things perfectly woven together. And what sin does is it pulls at a thread and it leaves gaps in that. It leaves holes. And that's the imagery of shalom, everything woven together, working the way it ought to. And so when God promised his kingdom would come, it'd be a time when shalom or peace would be reinstated. And so I want to invite you to, to turn to those tables and even in your imagination, maybe uh, think up the, the pieces of creation that you long to see restored or put back together. It can be on the global scale. It could be in your own heart. But as you think through that and just say, your kingdom come, your will be done, and maybe one particular space or kind of situation, uh, as it is in the realm of heaven, where things perfectly operate the way that God intended them to, and spend a few minutes praying around that. Your kingdom come. What are the places where you want to see that break in? The next section. The next section of Jesus' prayer was one that was one of provision and dependence. Uh, when they would have prayed, give us today our daily bread, uh, in their mind would have definitely echoed back to that time in the wilderness when Israel was without any hope. They had no means to get food. Uh, they were stuck in the middle of a desert. So picture the middle of driving between here and Tucson, right? Nothing out there at all. And you're stuck out there with a few million people wondering how in the world will God be faithful to his promises? Uh, there's nothing to eat out here. And we have all these people. What will we do? And he provided manna from heaven, enough each and every day for them to eat. And so in this request, I don't want us to miss that it's a daily provision. What is it that you actually need him to provide today? Is it physical provision in some way? Is there an emotional provision? Is there something uh, for you personally or in the life of your Missio community? Is there something in the life of your family that you need him to provide that you say, without this, we have no hope? So this isn't a third house on the beach kind of situation. Uh, this is without this, I have nothing. And implicit in that is an expectation that his disciples would be in places where they were in need. God, I don't know how this happens, but we need you to show up today. Would you give us today our daily bread, what we need for provision right now? So turn back to those tables. And what is it that you would like to ask your father to provide for you because you know you're in desperate need and without him, you have no hope? And the next little section of the Lord's Prayer that he gives us, as Jesus wanted to shape his followers, remember this, he's, he's shaping his apprentices, those that would uh, need a continued source of relationship with him, uh, filling for the work that they had to do when he left. This would be a model for prayer for the next millennia of the church. He's aware of that as well. Uh, this is something that he wanted his people, as they weren't just gathered in these buildings to receive religious instruction to get, but the people that were going to be nourished and living day to day in a world that was very much against him, that was against the gospel, that wanted to act as if he wasn't truly king. And so that's the world that he lived in. And so he's shaping his people. How will they be nourished for this work? Uh, and that's the, this is the prayer he's given him, a way to commune with him as a father. So don't step out of that. This was a prayer Jesus prayed for his disciples, but also for us. And the next part of the story, he, uh, prayer, he gets very, very personal, right? He says, uh, forgive us our debts. And two things, I just want to make a note on this, and then I'm going to 
put you back to your table. Uh, the first is the assumption that we have debts, that we failed, that we've fallen short, that we have not lived perfectly into what we've been called to do. So take a deep breath, let it out. You were not gonna ever be perfect. Nobody here, look around your table, nobody thinks you're perfect. You're not like holding that together and they're like, oh wait, kids, you look at your parents, you know they're not perfect. Parents, you look at your kids, you know they're not perfect, come on now. Even Lyric and Leilani with smiles, right? Like we're not perfect. Uh, Grown-ups, we often want to pretend, especially when we come into a building like this, that we have it more together than we actually do. And what Jesus does in this very prayer is release us from that. Would you forgive us our debts? He throws in there as we've forgiven our debtors. That means that there's a relational line that this runs along as well. But the second thing I want to make note of is that it's a plural prayer. Forgive us our debts. Uh, and so as we take a moment to pray, I'm going to let us pray over this two ways. One way, if the Spirit convicts you of something that you just want to give voice to, hey, Father, would you forgive me? I know this is something I'm in and I shouldn't be, or this is a way I've fallen short and I shouldn't. You are welcome to pray that way. If it sparks something else for you and you think about the people of God in the places where you have networks of friends and how they've been wrong because of the way that church has acted, you're also welcome in this moment to pray over, Father, would you forgive us, the church, for the way that we've acted in this space? And then those are the two things that I have for us. So uh, one, there's not an expectation of perfection. Two, we're gonna pray over these things together as a corporate prayer or personal, either way. And so pray over this, and then I'll move us towards the last section of the Lord's Prayer together. But what is it that you would say, Father, forgive us? In the last words of the prayer, or at least this version of it, uh, Jesus prays, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so there's two things that I want to invite us to pray over. Uh, the first one is if the Spirit brings to mind any temptations uh, that might lead us toward unfaithfulness in what we've been called to do. So what are the temptations? A temptation is something that, that tries to seduce us into living a different way, right? That tries to tell us there's a different story, a better story, that, that God's way to live isn't the best possible way to live. That's that beginning moment in the garden when the snake comes and say, did God really say that you couldn't eat of any of these trees? And then Eve looks and sees that fruit, and man, it looks so good to her eyes. It looks like it's going to be delicious. Uh, she doesn't trust God, and she grabs for that. that. That feeling or that moment where she's offered another option, that's called a temptation. And so uh, what are the things that could take us and want to move us from a place of faithfulness as a church, as disciples, as husbands, as wives, as boyfriends, as girlfriends, as kids, as whatever your role in life is? What is something that would threaten to pull you away from faithfulness? And then the second one, deliverance. Is there a pocket of the city or a place in your life or a area that you, comes to mind when you're like, man, I would love for God to bring deliverance in this space, among these people, in this zip code, in this network that I just see held by the evil one. And we're going to spend the last little bit of time that we have before communion praying into that. Would you pray against the attacks of the enemy that might want to tempt us towards unfaithfulness, whatever that might look like, to put our trust in something or someone other than Jesus? Uh, or praying release or deliverance for some, maybe even ourselves. Maybe it's a silent cry that the Spirit hears where you're praying for deliverance over an area that you just feel entrapped by or enslaved by and you can't quite get out of it. And you're like, there is no hope for getting out of this. I've tried a million times. 
prayers of deliverance. God, help me is the most common prayer in Scripture. Help me. Deliver me. I can't do this. And so would you just pray those around the table as the Spirit brings them to mind against temptation to draw us away or areas where people are enslaved. And we're asking the enemy, to be the Spirit, to release the enemy's grip, deliverance. Uh, we believe that we don't just speak to God and, and lob things up and then he does something frantically with him, but this is a dialogue where he speaks back. And so if there's something that sparked your imagination or conviction or a name that came to mind of someone that you should also invite into a prayer life with you, uh, I want to take a moment and allow that just to be maybe cemented in a little bit. And so uh, if something comes to mind, jot that down, whether it's in your phone, on a piece of paper, in some way that you're not going to forget it when the chaos erupts out of this space. And so, uh, yeah, I just want to give a moment, ask the Spirit if there's anything else he'd like to say to you. Amen. Amen. The reason that we do this together uh, is because we want to be equipped to take up our role in God's story. Uh, we believe that as smaller communities that we bear witness to the good news of the gospel, that as individuals who are sent into our networks of friends, that we're meant to be people literally bringing the presence of God with us. And these are the sort of practices that we need if we're going to be faithful in that over the long period of time. Uh, we get to experience God's presence in ourselves and then bring that to others. And prayer is an essential piece of that communication. Uh, something else that we come back to regularly is the table. Um, we look at this uh, in a few different ways. Jesus gave it the night he was betrayed as a meal to remember his sacrifice for us. That we don't just get released or sent out in the world to do things for Jesus, but that we're released and sent out to do things with Jesus. And they only take place as we're fueled by his gospel. Uh, we remember the provision that he's given us in the past, and that gives us faith to lean into what we have yet to see. And so this meal is a tangible reminder each and every week that we come back to it, that his sacrifice is more than enough, that his life is more than enough for us. And it's a common meal that binds us together.